1: Every
2: team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
3: You're listening to Mav Sports Take. Whether it's breaking news or sports business, this is your home for unmuzzled and unconventional sports talk. With assistant general manager, director of player personnel, and three time world champion on his resume, David Turner has a thing or two to teach you about pro football. At his side is Ryan Roberts, former college football player football coach, and NFL Draft Bibles Director of Scouting. Together, they're here to take you on a deep dive into what goes on in the world of sports. Ryan and David, take it away.
4: Welcome everyone now to episode 11 of Mav Sports Take. Almost our three-month anniversary here, me and Mr. David Turner. You're tuning in for the 11th time. Of course, we thank you for coming back. If you're tuning in for the first time, we thank you for joining us tonight. We are currently live, 8.30, actually 8.44 Eastern Time now, on my Twitter handle, which is at Rise and Draft, bringing you everything and anything you need to know. NFL, college football, NFL draft, business, we cover it all here. We thank you all again for taking some time. David Turner and myself brought you an interview with strength and conditioning expert Kyle Thorne this past week. If you have not taken a look at that, I would definitely go check on any platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever you get. And wherever, whatever, whenever, wherever you get your podcast, we got you covered. Go check it out, Mav Sports Take. Tonight, we're going to, of course, talk some NFL. We're going to talk some college football, what's stuck with us this past week. But we're also going to bring in Mr. Mike Singer of Rivals.com, Blue and Gold Illustrated, to discuss High school recruiting in particular, we're going to give you all types of perspectives. We're going to give you from a beat writer that covers recruiting. We're going to give you the perspective of coaching staffs that are making a lot of decisions with with kids that they have not had the opportunity to see in person. They're throwing out scholarship offers without even seeing these kids yet. And then, of course, from the player perspective, there's a lot of, a lot of layers to this conversation. David, I think we're going to bring on Mike first. We're going to – Jazz it up a little bit. We're going to mix things up before we begin. How are you tonight, my friend? How excited are we for episode 11?
1: Well, as you and I are both big Notre Dame guys, this is going to be really fun for us tonight to jump into the Notre Dame conversation and get going on it and hear about recruiting. I mean, it's much like what we did with James Kirkland and um, uh, Quinton Ganther a few weeks ago. You know, it's a story that I think really needs to be understood by our, our fans and our, our audience out there. Um, these high school kids have been, you know, really impacted on their lives by the NC two A rule of giving everybody a year back. So it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good conversation. I know I know you and I have been off air and we've been both been pumped about getting ready for this. So I'm really really excited.
4: Absolutely. And just th- this one's really fun for me because if you haven't been following along with me on Twitter. We, I just am starting now, Locked On Irish for the Locked On um, Network over there covering everything Notre Dame with my good friend Joe Leone. So to talk some recruiting, recruiting insider here, I had to bring on a Notre Dame guy, bringing on Mr. Mike Singer now joining us via the Zoom call, recruiting insider and editor for BGI News on the Rivals Yahoo Sports Network. Mike, been following you for a while, man, all your work, love the podcast, everything, um, Blue and Gold Illustrated. How's everything going for you, man?
2: Well, first of all, I appreciate that. Um, everything is everything's going good. Can't complain. It's uh, crazy times, uh, I, and, and we'll get into all that and how that affects the, re- the recruiting world. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't complain, man. I'm blessed.
4: I hear you, man. And I, I know we, we definitely want to get heavy into the recruiting. Before we start, just general, I know you said everything's good, just the, the state of the world the way it is. How's, how's the life of Mike Singer right now on a day-to-day basis trying to navigate all this insanity?
2: Yeah, so typically um, for my job uh, covering football recruiting and, and specifically Notre Dame, um, I map out what I'm going to do for the fall in July. <laughs> so um, I'll have, again, in the seventh month of the year, booked out through, you know, you know, November, what, what game I'm going to be at. I, I really pride myself on. I'm going to go see these recruits in person. Anybody can just do it from their couch. And oftentimes I do as well, because that's a huge part of it is being remote. And because and, I can't see every single kid. Um, but, you know, I, I do pride myself again on going and seeing see these kids in person. Well, you know, it, it's really week to week right now. And uh, I mean, like just this Monday, um, I, I decided, all right, you know what, I'm going to go see Prince Collie on Friday, you know, go see, uh, you know, Notre Dame's linebacker commit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's different, but at the same time, recruiting's crazy. You know, my, my job is covering 17 year olds. So that that's just crazy within itself. So, um, you know, this is just a little bit more, but you know, again, it's, it's always crazy.
4: Yeah. Just a little added layer for you. I know Mike, we wanted to a few weeks ago, we had Mr. James Kirkland on, who is the director of player personnel over there at the University of Illinois. We had Quinton Gainther, who is a running back coach for Weber State. And we talked a lot about different perspectives of recruiting. Thought this would be fun to have someone that covers it, obviously, you know, year-round and you're always on the recruiting trails. Wanted to give multiple perspectives to this conversation. So I wanted to start with the recruits currently, because we talk about you know, guys trying to navigate this offseason. Usually we're seeing guys, you know, playing football. Some states, that, that it just isn't the case right now. Some schools don't have the opportunity to really show what they have from a senior perspective. And then you add in the layer of, hey, some, there's, there's an extra year of eligibility for college seniors now. So, like, how is that going to affect the world? Taking us from a, the perspective of a recruit, from the player that is playing out their senior year, maybe hoping to get a couple offers here late what, what what is the challenges and what is the best way in your opinion to maybe navigate that to the best of their ability
2: it's it is so different from state to state and even within different parts of the state like uh, Memphis Tennessee um, is, is different than you know different parts of of the rest of the state and uh, I know there's uh parts of South Florida um who they haven't they haven't even played yet this season and while in Indianapolis they had like a, you know, solid eight, nine game regular season. And uh, in Ohio, they had six games and then the playoffs. So it is just different from state to state. You had some states cancel, come back. I know Minnesota is one of those. And then there's states that um, just didn't, um, you know, come back. They they canceled it early. And and certainly California comes to mind um, as the big one there. So um, there is – Different opportunities for different recruits. Um, I know there's a, a padded camp, an 11-on-11 11 11 camp in Utah, where some recruits are going there for some exposure. So um, not only that, just to play some ball, you know, I mean, they'll, they'll pay a lot of money to just go play some, you know, or organize football. So, I mean, there's the obvious challenges for the kids who are not playing that they're not getting their, their scholarship looks. There's going to be, um, others who might end up at like a Kent state or something, whereas they should be playing for like an Ohio state. Um, but they just fell through the cracks because they didn't get that camp invite because there was no camp. So there's a lot of those kind of things. And then, you know, on the kind of like, uh, all right, first world problem, there is someone who, you know, might not get that bump up to five-star status because of. Um, Some of these reasons we've talked about. So um, the ripple effects of this calendar year with recruiting are completely unknown. And another thing is we don't know how long this dead period is. So the coaches can't go see the recruits. Recruits can't come see the coaches um, due to the NCAA's dead period, which was enacted in March. That's set to uh, run through the end of this calendar year. So that is a whole nother thing. Like, you know, or it could again have these ripple effects through the 2023 classes, where um, you know these colleges are just kind of set behind and all this different stuff. So, um, it's it's been completely bizarre. Um, I, I've never covered anything like this recruiting cycle. Um, uh, yeah, it, it's been uh, uh, pretty unprecedented. Pretty
4: and Mike, yeah when we, could, we so, had on I just want to do expand on that real quick if we can Mike because I know like so for Notre Dame recruiting right we're like nearing the end of having a full class right there might be like two to three spots I heard you say on your last podcast like it's pretty everything's pretty much set in stone here to a degree do you think that there's going to be any repercussions maybe not even Notre Dame specifically but obviously covering that maybe you could speak to it a little more where there is might be scholarships pulled if there's some seniors that choose to take that extra year of eligibility do you anticipate that being an issue in any way
2: well i don't know if arizona state situation was because of they had you know seniors want to come back but arizona state there was a couple of recruits who were committed to their 2021 classes who just said tweeted out our scholarships were pulled," um and that's really bad publicity for the sun devils but you know as time goes by people kind of forget about it but um, yeah, that's obviously something I pondered a ton, um, kind of asked around with different sources, but I think Notre Dame specifically, they have a plan. There's just no way that they're going to be surprised or, or maybe they, they could certainly be surprised. I mean, this is the world of recruiting and college football. There's always surprises, but you know, I, I think they're going to have a plan. I mean, the fans will worry about the 85 number, like, Oh, we're, we're at 89 scholarships. Oh, we're, we're so worried. I'm like always works itself out. So even with this, this is crazy, but it'll work itself out. And and I keep saying this on, on different podcasts and I really need to to dive into it, but I want to say that it's up to the school to invite it back. I, I don't think every senior uh, can say, oh, you know, I, I want to come back, but also, you know, it's, it's a freebie for the freshmen and the sophomore. So it's just, I just, it's going to be really difficult, difficult to navigate. I mean, I asked different sources like, Hey, how does this kind of work with scholarship numbers? Uh, You know, at various schools just kind of get a feel and it's a very fluid thing where um, you know, the NCAA has to do something, extend it to a hundred or 105 to account for, for all these guys. Cause you know, we don't, we don't know at, at different schools who, how many seniors do they have coming back? Like, so it's, it's just a crazy thing.
1: Yeah, Mike, when we were talking to Quinton and, uh, and James, they were saying, like Quinton was saying, you know, scholarship money wise, if you bring a kid from out of state into state now, you know, that money that you had is, is being chewed up by that out of state, um, t- tuition and stuff. And the school's losing money because they're not playing and they're not gaining the money. So a lot of the different individuals are struggling in schools, smaller schools, especially, uh, you know, FCS level are going to be struggling with recruiting and they might only bring in a handful because again the coach walks in and says and I'm not saying this happened at Weber I know it happened at Wyoming um the coach walked in and said, "Hey, any of you guys that want to come back you're welcome back and so now they're up there and they actually had a kid that walked on last year that was expecting to get a scholarship this year but by the coach saying that that kid who walked on might not be getting a scholarship because they don't know if they have one to give him or if they're all going to stay. And my cousin who's a high school coach in California was talking about going through this as a high school coach, now trying to navigate it and understand where I should try to promote my kids, where I should not because – and he's like, man, if they're not a top 300 right now, top 300 player, they're probably just not getting a scholarship because there's just not going to be enough room. And and according to Quinton – The NCAA said you have one year to be over the scholarship cap money wise, not, you know, and then but you have to get it back. So even if you extend past one year and all those freshmen and sophomores had freebies and now your classes, like you said, the ripple effect might be through 2023, 2024 before we get it right. Right. Corrected. Now how do you overcommit you got to kind of undercommit cuz you're not sure what all these freebies are going to be so they made a blanket statement which i i just feel just kind of you know put they didn't they didn't walk it all the way through
2: yeah david i was i was shocked by the ruling and here's the the thing every power 5 conference is playing now the mac is now back i think every division 1 conference you guys can correct me if i'm wrong is playing now except for um, you know the brainiacs. Uh, you know your Prince and Yells. I, I think I want to say every other. So it's like, why do we even have this rule? Like, is there enough guys that are opting out? Like, why can't you just give them an extra year? I think if they can to reverse the decision, I, I think that might be the the best thing to do. But there's they made that ruling, and and that's been it as far as I know on on that. So it's it's like I said, man, covering college football and high school rec- football recruiting is just bizarre already, and. Um, no two recruitments are the same They're, I mean, I've been doing this for uh, seven and a half years and I still feel like I'm learning about recruiting every day. And then you have this year come along and you, you know, nothing. <laughs> yeah.
1: Now, are, now you said there's a dead period where the kids obviously can't come on the campus and can't go and the coaches can't go out. How much Zoom meetings are being handed right now? How are coaches going about even meeting the kids? Is it possible? Like, what's going on? Are they meeting them on social media? Like, help our if we have some high school kids listening right now, how do they get noticed? How, how are those departments working so they can try to get a, a look see?
2: Um, I have kids DM me on Twitter all of the time. They think I'm a college coach, I'm absolutely not. Uh, but the kids know this send their stuff out to as many people as possible. i you know, again, I think they think I'm a college coach. I often, uh, if I do respond like, Hey, I'm not a college coach. If I did, I'd be making a lot more money. I wish I was, but, um, yeah. um, Yeah. Especially at Notre Dame. Yeah. So it's look, you got to get your, get your film out there as much as possible, especially the academic side, because if you, you know, or you're a young man who's got a three, seven GPA, that sets you apart from, you know, a kid who might have the same skill set as you, but has a 2.9. So yeah, get it out as much as possible. As far as how much virtual stuff is happening, it was really hot and heavy in the beginning. I mean, the virtual visit on zoom was like, Whoa, this is like, this is like new, new technology. Like what is this stuff? I want to say Kansas was one of the first ones to do like a big virtual visit weekend uh, where they had really specific stuff planned and, um, it, it was really neat. And then, you know, a week, but goes by now everyone is doing virtual visits where um, you have the, the, the main recruiter on the call, then maybe the coordinator. And then you'll have like a, someone in the recruiting office to actually kind of go through the nuts and bolts of the presentation with a video included in the zoom that's going on to um, where, where that recruiting office person's talking about it with the input of the coaches. So um, I've never been on one of those. Obviously I kind of, hope to one day and maybe sneak me in there. I get to watch one of those and and just kind of be a fly on the wall. Uh, I'm not going to hold out too much hope on that, but um, (laughs) yeah, I I think it's probably not as much. It it might be more for the 2022 class. Now um, those high school juniors that are now getting the zoom calls more, but for the seniors who are still out there um, who are uncommitted, they, they've done dozens of them already and they, they might do like a quick zoom or a FaceTime just to kind of see the coaches face to face. But um, you know, the, the virtual visit stuff with those guys is, you know, kind of old news by now.
4: And Mike, you talked a little bit about, you know, just how your, your schedule might be a little more like fly by the seat, right? Like things are constantly changing. You talked about going to see Prince Collie, you know, just kind of off the whim. What, what is that like though? Because being in your position, I imagine those, ability to be on the recruiting trail and talk to those kids, talk to their coaches, like how important that is. What how much has that affected your job to do it to the highest degree that you can and what have you been able to supplement anything in any way to try to to try to get along with these, you know, I guess normal times now and to make the best of what is a very tough situation obviously.
2: Yeah, well well one thing about the travel is that you just you could get there literally be there for warm-ups, game gets canceled. Like that hasn't happened to me, but you hear stories about games being canceled right before or all these things. So I I just kind of crossed my fingers and uh uh so, like I was up in Indianapolis October 9th um to see a couple of Notre Dame commits. Avon with 2021 five star offensive tackle, Blake Fisher against uh 2022 four star lineman, Joey Tsonoda again both Irish commitments. So that was like a really cool trip. But still I'm, I'm like kind of nervous that this could be canceled in any minute I'm like, all right, now what you know, non-refundable trip kind of deal. So, um, you know, it, it's a lot of communicating with the athletic directors and coaches kind of going through all of the, uh, you know, what do I need to do? And uh, before the game, but you know, most of them have been uh, pretty relaxed, but I mean, in previous years, I wouldn't even tell anybody I come and I just kind of flash the media credential and just get into the game. Now it's, you know, everyone's pretty uh, you know, well, well guarded about who gets into the games, which I understand, Uh, you need to have some, some protocols in place, obviously, but did that even answer the question?
4: <laughs> I think it did. I think the, the biggest thing is like, who knows, right? Like every day is kind of its, its own day right now, which makes everything so difficult. I want to ask though, because I know David's got a great one for you, but you talked about Blake Fisher He's a guy that I'm pumped up about, you know. Specifically, I just see this guy, and I'm just like, that dude is a grown man at 17, 18 years old. Can you give us a preview of just Blake a little bit, and maybe a, one or two other recruits that we a Notre Dame fans should be excited about?
2: Yeah, well, obviously Blake. Um, I mentioned this on my podcast at BlueAndGold.com after I saw him, uh, but I I talked to his offensive line coach, and I said, hey, you know, this you know, around you know, two or three hours before the game. So I said, "Hey, you know, Blake around? Kind of meet him real quick." And uh, I'm like, "Holy crap! This kid is huge. Look, I'm I'm about six three, you know, two fifteen. I'm a big dude. I don't often feel small, but Blake made me feel like a you know little child. Uh, he's just a big dude, and it's just." It, it's unreal and kind of seems fake just how athletic he is for how big he is. Like, you know, if he's 6'6", 330, he shouldn't be moving as well laterally and just shoving kids like like it, it's nothing at the same time. And then, you know, it's kind of, you know, he, he, he's a a big personality. So, you know, he, he, he likes to, you know, offensive linemen these days are very much, um more into you know before they just didn't really talk much now you get a lot of guys who have big personalities will want to talk be active on social media so you know Blake's got his own little swagger on the field too so he's just this new age offensive lineman who's super athletic while also being a mauler um other 2021 commits to get excited about for Notre Dame um
4: gotta gotta be Buckner right quarterback I know that's obviously a hot topic
2: yeah, yeah. So Buckner's the guy I've been able to see twice, once at our rivals camp in um Los Angeles and then in over the summer at the Elite Eleven in Nashville. Uh in my opinion, he was sharper um in California. It's, he, he I know Notre Dame fans don't want to see hear this, but his mechanics looked a little off to me. He looked a little rusty. Kind of, uh, He wasn't really thrown with his lower half, just all pushing it with his arm. So it just looked a little funky. But I would say I saw every throw uh, in that three days, and he had one where he rolled right through it 48 yards on a dime. Um, so he is, and this might not be something Irish fans want to hear either, but because uh, they've heard this before and didn't quite work out, but he is truly... When he runs the ball, it's, he's like, he's a running back. Like he's, he's six He's got tree trunks for thighs. He's just a big dude who really runs the ball. Well, and he's going to be pretty durable. I I feel like he did miss his sophomore with an, kind of a freak ACL injury. Um, but he's a big, durable dude um, who also just throws the ball really well. And he's, he's kind of met, uh, models his game after Aaron Rogers. Um, so he loves those, uh, impromptu, you know, uh, kind of just fling the ball past it. So he's, um, good player, great kid, great family. Um, he's, he's the entire package. Um, I, you know, I, I couldn't be higher on Tyler Buckner as a prospect. Um, as, as far as another name, I'll throw out Lorenzo styles at receiver, a guy that Tyler's going to be really excited to throw the ball to. And a lot of fans want to see, uh, Lorenzo as a corner or safety, cause he's really good athlete and, and looks good on tape at both of those spots, but uh, Lorenzo Styles is just one of the most fluid receivers that I've seen. Just everything he does is just easy. Um yeah, six six one, one seventy, one eighty. Um fast as heck, um, excellent with the ball in his hands. Just I, I love football players who are just really smart. Like you just tell they know the game of football. His dad, um Lorenzo Styles Senior. Uh, played for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I want to say he's spent a few years in the NFL. So you know, you could tell that you know he he's grown up around the game, watches a lot of football, loves the game, just a smart player. And yeah, I mean, he he's going to be big for the Irish.
1: Now, when you're covering Notre Dame football, how does that compare? Their recruiting and their their obviously they got a big bankroll, right? They <laughs> they can do a lot of stuff. How does uh how does the recruiting for Notre Dame compare to other other schools? You know, um, whether it be ACC, Big Twelve, Pac-10, like as you run across other recruiters, what's some comparisons or advantages Notre Dame definitely has? Yeah.
2: Definitely so has? Uh, one thing about me is that I did not grow up a Notre Dame fan. Um. <laughs> um. I. I, I I mean, never disliked the program. Um, just are either with a, us or against us, baby. Uh, I grew up a Georgia Tech fan. And, oh, the Ramblin' Wreck! Yes, Ramblin' Wreck, hell of an engineer. Yeah, so I grew up a Tech <laughs> fan, uh, but then you know, seven years ago, and started covering football recruiting. You know, just I haven't followed them since. Just kind of follow whatever team I cover. So I've covered a bunch of different schools, like most uh, you know high school football you know rec- recruiting reporters they grew up a fan of a school and that's the school they cover. Um, so they might not be able to answer this question super well, but I, you know, with my, I mean, I've covered, you know, just, uh, you know, probably a dozen schools in seven years, you know, kind of going from that grind of intern to part-time to full-time now. Um, but yeah, so the biggest thing I always say, cause I get this question a good bit and, and the number one thing is just the quality of kids and their families is just amazing. You know, uh, you just know what you're getting all of the time. And they're just such great individuals. Um, I I would honestly consider a lot of the parents and, and high school coaches that I deal with of these kids, just friends. Um, so that, that's a big, you just such good kids that you just really enjoy talking to all of the time. Uh, other thing is uh, obviously the academic portion is huge. Um, you know, if a kid is comparing school A to school B and they're pretty similar on all these football fronts, but hey, school A, Notre Dame's got this great academic prestige, and school B um, just obviously fails, uh, kind of lags behind in that area, then Notre Dame's a choice, oftentimes. So um, Notre Dame is a, a special place, one of those places that you I mean, the pandemic and the dead period has hit every school, right? I mean, it, it, it's hit Notre Dame as hard as everybody. But I would say harder for Notre Dame because it's just one of those places you have to see. Like you get on campus, it just feels different than a lot of places. It's just a, a really beautiful place. So um, that's another thing about Notre Dame. I mean, obviously academics, everyone talks about the academics, but just how special of a place Notre Dame is. You got to see it, feel it, touch it. Um, to, to really love it, we
1: had Ian. We had what was it, Ian Williams, a few weeks ago, Ryan. Yep. yep. And you former, know, former he, Irish, he, I think, what 2008 to
4: 2011, I think, somewhere in that. He was he was at the tail end of the Weiss era and the beginning of the Brian Kelly era. So he talked a little bit about that, Mike. And I, I'll tell you, I've only been on campus one time, but I am I can just echo your set, sentiment here because it is. It's just something like I want to get there super early when I get there. And I just want to be there. Like even if I'm not doing anything, like you walk past the mural, like just it's just something about being there. And everyone just seems like in a good mood all the time. And so it's it's, it's really refreshing. And I, you talked a little bit about maybe things that might be a little bit of a negative, right? Not being able to get out to Notre Dame. I want to talk to you and ask you about – the negatives and the positives to recruiting for Notre Dame. What are the pitches that land kids more often than not? And what are some of the difficulties that Notre Dame might have uh, giving to a student athlete
2: potentially? Yeah, well, yeah. touch on the academics, That's a, uh, that answers both. Honestly. I mean, for a, a lot of kids, that's a, a huge thing, but some Notre Dame, um, you know, half of the five stars recruits, Notre Dame can't even really recruit because they don't have the grades and then getting, <laughs> trying to land the other 15, five stars. Well, that's really difficult because every other school in the country wants one. So they seem to get about one a year, uh, at least in these past few years. So um, yeah, the uh, academics is uh, the, I would say that's the main negative is that you, you, miss out on some kids because you are Notre Dame. You have super high academic standards. Um You know, the location is a a, a bit of a negative for Notre Dame and that you don't have a big local recruiting base, you know, Chicago, an hour and a half or so, you know, Indianapolis, a couple hours. And it's, it, you know, it, it, there's just not a, a ton of recruits right there. And so they go in a lot into California and Georgia now and, uh, up in the northeast in
1: Arizona. I know that they're in Arizona. They they
2: yeah. folks out yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, not, not not a ton. Not you know a ton he, here and there. Uh but you know Tosh Baker in the 2020 class, big time offensive tackle, they landed in Arizona, but um you know Georgia's again, I live in Atlanta, um because Notre Dame recruits so much in here. Um I uh, covering recruiting from South Bend doesn't really do a lot for me because again, there's just, you know, go cover Paul Mawala 15 times, you know, like during the, like, what am I going to do? Um, so, um, and as far as positives, um, you know, it, it's Notre Dame, you know, like, like I mentioned on, about the campus stuff, um, the the tradition, the, the prestige uh, of the football program and the history that that's a big deal. The recruits uh, coaching staff does a, a really nice job. Um, you know, my only criticism of the coaching staff is, you know, just being absolute grinders and dogs on the recruiting trail 365 days a year. Um, but otherwise, uh, you know, they they do a really nice job connecting with recruits, especially when they get on campus. I, I think that's when the Notre Dame staff is really at its best, which has hurt them uh, this year.
1: So when you're looking at um... – Recruiting trails, like you just said, that they lead through the South a lot, right? What other schools do you you see? I mean, is it all just SEC down there and, and Notre Dame, or is it ACC, SEC, Big Ten, Big Twelve? Like, is everybody's down there shopping?
2: Everybody's in the South. Are you kidding me? It's a hotbed. What do you mean? Oh yeah, everyone's here. I mean, uh when I used to cover Oregon State a couple years ago, um, they were in Florida. And then their Florida recruiter um, left for a different job, so they stopped recruiting Florida. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's, I'm sure there's a you know a few schools that don't, but I mean, just thinking about in Atlanta here, um, and, and guys that Notre Dame recruited that they had, it didn't end up getting. Um, I mean, USC's got a kid here, um, Stanford. I mean, it's 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 everywhere, um, especially when you get down to Florida you know, your Alabamas, your Ohio States, your Michigan. I mean, everyone's out of Florida. Notre Dame, not as much recently because there's not that strong, uh, you know, private Catholic. There's not a ton of private Catholic institutions um, in, in the state of Florida that just really churn out a ton of prospects. Not to say there aren't that, but uh, Georgia has a lot more and Georgia's kind of become the new Florida for Notre Dame or Korea. They're in, um, and those kids have done, really well recently I mean especially with like someone like Kyle Hamilton so yeah everyone's in the south man I mean um, Florida Georgia Texas California you know if you're not recruiting kids from there you're gonna have a tough time winning
4: and Mike I know we've taken a a bunch of your time here so if we could end this I I don't want to go super in depth with the with the game coming up obviously against Pitt because you're the recruiting guy but can you give us at least a score prediction do you think that Notre Dame takes this one this weekend
2: What's the spread at? Is it like eight points?
4: Some somewhere in that ballpark. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So if Notre Dame was at home, you would think you know they would get another field goal scenario, but eleven point fair. Yeah. So this is Notre Dame's first road game of the season. I think that's going to help them getting away from home. um, Guys will really rally together. I'll take Notre Dame to cover. Um, So how about? 31-20. Thirty-one twenty. That's I haven't thought about a game prediction. I got to do it for blueandgold.com, but we'll go thirty-one twenty Notre Dame.
4: I I know that I know that's the Notre Dame fans are very you know a little glass half um, half empty a little bit, Mike. But I think they'll take thirty-one after that twelve-point game against. Them, so.
2: yeah, most of my readers are more like glass quarter full um, <laughs> or seventy-five percent empty. I should say, yeah.
4: Well, I want to thank you again, Mike, so much for coming on with us again. Mr. Mike Singer, recruiting insider and editor for BGI, uh, Rivals, Yahoo Sports Network. Thanking you again, Mike, so much. It it was awesome, man. It really was just hearing a little bit into your story and uh, just a little bit of the background. I think a lot of people got a lot of a lot of different perspectives, which is what we were really looking for. So we really appreciate it.
1: All right, guys. Anytime. Thanks, Mike. So, Ryan, what was your biggest takeaway from talking with Mike tonight?
4: I'll say, I mean, so a lot of the stuff he was echoing, I had, again, I, I kind of experienced it firsthand just being there. I, I think it's, biggest takeaway I'd probably say is just, I'm still so fascinated with that conversation about if a ton of school, and this might not be Notre Dame specific, but for the, the ripple effect of if some of these college seniors choose to use that eligibility rule and they go back to school for the 2021 college season. How does that affect these recruiting classes of 20 to 25 guys? Is the NCAA going to be – are they going to be helpful to helping to, you know, raising the, rec- the scholarship number, raising the money, like all those types of things? I'm just really fascinated by the recruiting. and It's nice to hear that Notre Dame probably there, – there might not be that – you know, kind of thing looming over them. But I think that that's a really interesting conversation that I think is going to affect more teams, more colleges than some people probably realize.
1: Well, you know, what I think is Notre Dame's got a really high graduation rate already, you know? And therefore it's like, those guys graduate and they're like, well, I'm not going to go to the NFL, but I have a Notre Dame de- degree. So I can go into the marketplace and take this degree with me and, and uh, you know, go earn some money and, and move on with life. Whereas like other programs where that's not the case, where maybe these kids are still holding out hope and dream to get in the NFL, they're going to stick around. They're going to stay and they're going to try to ride it out and that will affect their programs. And like, you know, Quentin, uh, Quinton was saying at the FCS level, you know, he's got guys that aren't ever going to play, but they're taking the, you know, they're they're sitting out a year and they're doing this and that. So you have some misformed. and I think it's just a different level. I think mean, Notre Dame against the rich getting richer. Like he said, it's a very academic school. A, t- a lot of the top 500 don't even, you know, top five recruits don't even have the GPA to get in. And so it's like when you're dealing with Notre Dame kids, their decision making is a little different than kids that maybe are at other schools. A uh, little lesser academic wise. And, you know, football is all they got. So they're sticking around as long as they can. Now those programs aren't going to be there, and he even mentioned early in the conversation about maybe kids are at Akron this year or over the next couple of years, and they should be at Ohio State or something. And that's the same thing James Kirkland when we talked to James about, he had said that too. You're going to have some kids that are at, you know, trickle down effect um, because the top programs just don't have the room for them to bring them up, to bring them in right now.
4: Well, that's a good thing for Akron, right? At least for the short yeah. term. So they till they're like, "Oh, money's money's back. I'm, uh, I'm out of here." But I, I think it's. I mean, it's just going to be a fascinating conversation. This is definitely not the last time that we're going to have this conversation. We want definitely want to get in. Obviously, some football talk before we start our next segment. We want to remind you here at Maverick Sports Consulting, we um, we are hosting a free seminar this Thursday night at four thirty Pacific time. p.m. Eastern Time. It's what scouts are seeing on your tape. We will be queuing up Clemson quarterback Trevor Lawrence, Penn State linebacker Micah Parsons, and Florida tight end Kyle Pitts to let you hear what is happening inside a scout's head when he watches college tape like yours. If you're a player, agent, coach, or fan that would like to learn what scouts see when they are watching film, Join our mailing list on Twitter at mav underscore sports to receive receive the zoom the link to the Zoom meeting. Don't forget it's free free seminar this Thursday night at four thirty p.m. Pacific time seven thirty p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Why pass this up?
1: Yeah, I I'm really excited for us this week because it's me and you doing what we do, watching film, breaking players down, showing showing them what what we can do for them. I mean, it's a uh, you know, it's an unmuzzled look into a scouting world where a lot of these kids think they know what's being said about them and how they're breaking we're breaking positions down, and they truly don't know what we're what we're thinking and what we're asking them to work on and how we're we're working it through in our brain and how it works with schemes and stuff like when we're talking about Friday Night Scout School, how a vertical passing scheme is going to catch one sort sort of um, player and receiver and offensive lineman is going to be different for a zone blocking scheme than a power blocking scheme. Um, so, yeah, we're going to take some of the top college players, run through them, answer questions. You know, we're there for the players to teach them what we do. Um, then they can come extend their knowledge, obviously, at Friday Night Scout School. Or they can, uh, you know, sign up for one of our video review packages just so we can write a report on them. And they can see what, what we're thinking when we see the report, you know. And can you
4: imagine not being a part of Friday Night Scout School? Well, this is an extension, a free extension. Make sure to take advantage of the this Thursday again 4:30 Pacific time 7:30 Eastern time myself and David Turner will be in the film room as always we want to move over to a quick recap of this past weekend David we're going to do it a little different than we usually do we usually go game by game and just give some general thoughts we're going to call this segment what stuck with you we're going to it could be a NFL game college game a statistic a player Whatever you choose. No, there are no um, stipulations. There are no rules when we're talking about what's stuck with you. So David Turner asking you to begin. what stuck with you?
1: What stuck with me was that we're not talking about this Central Florida quarterback. I mean, Dylan Gabriel threw for 601 yards. Five touchdowns, no turnovers. So far this year, the, the, this mighty mouse of a, of a quarterback, this Drew Brees lookalike almost, uh, you know, has thrown for 1700 yards, 14 touchdowns and only two interceptions. I mean, his, uh, completion percentage is nearly 65%. He's a guy that's, you know, again, just really making an impression on me as I watch him. I know he's not the tallest guy. Again, I just compared him to Drew Brees, but neither is Kyler Murray or, um, you know, some of these other quarterbacks that we have in in the NFL these days. So, you know, I think you guys got to start paying attention. I mean, he's he has enough mobility. He's already rushed for 108 yards or so and another rushing TD this year. So this is a kid who's got good arm strength, really good quickness, agility and he has good field vision. And, you know, this is a kid that was in high school. He was like 42 yards away from passing for 10,000 yards, and he had 105 touchdowns in high school. So, I mean, this is a kid who knows how to throw the touchdown, has great field vision. He's been showing it. He's only a sophomore. So I don't want to overhype the kid, but if you want to watch somebody fun, go watch the Central Florida game. Watch this young man throw the ball. It might make you think of Drew Brees.
4: Yeah, and he's got a live arm on him for sure. We're seeing, you know, like David said, Kyler Murray's, the Russell Wilson's. These guys are kind of changing the way that we might evaluate the quarterback position. To move on to my what stuck with me, David, I need you to ask me what stuck with me in your Al Davis voice. I need to hear it.
1: Uh, Oh, Ryan, Ryan, this weekend, what, um, what stuck
4: with you? What stuck with me is something that's going to make David Turner feel very old in a split second. I'm talking Joe Horn, Pro Bowl wide receiver, Joe Horn from the New Orleans Saints' son, JC Horn. Let me give you a quick backstory here. In the summer, I put out an article where I said the South Carolina cornerback, JC Horn, could be cornerback one in the 2021 NFL draft when all was said and done. I was ridiculed, I was mocked. I was called an idiot. It happens on Twitter all the time, but that it really hurt me. It hurt me so much because I had watched so much film on this kid. I'm like, nah, man, I'm telling you, this kid's got it. This kid's got it. Everyone, you know, everyone's ranking him as like a 100 to 150 ranked player on like the draft network, a bunch of different people disrespecting my boy JC Horn. Disrespecting. Now I'll get. I'll give a shout out to Dane Brugler of the Athletic. I think he had him at like number forty to begin the year, which is like a pretty solid start, start, starting spot, you know. So not everybody was down on my boy JC, but I'm telling you, man, he just came off of a game this past weekend against a very good wide receiver in Seth Williams. He was shadowing him all over the field. Ended the game, two interceptions, five pass breakups, David, five pass breakups. In nine, uh, I think it was eight uh, throws officially at J.C. Horn, when guarding potential high-round pick Seth Williams, he forced um, seven incompletions out of the eight, had two interceptions, five pass breakups, only allowed one reception. My dude is six-foot-plus, 200-plus pounds, NFL pedigree, more speed than he's going to get give, given credit for, best press man technique in the 2021 nfl draft class by a landslide my guy is super physical after the game everyone's like oh man he might be a first round pick well if you read ryan roberts's article <laughs> in the summer you would have known who jc horn was i got stefan gilmore tweeting him out obviously he's a south carolina guy too so that's expected but they're like come grab my boy come grab my boy Everybody wants to talk about him. He's a riser. He's not a riser for Ryan Roberts because he's exactly where he should be in the first-round conversation to start this year.
1: Whew. No, I love it because I know you've been hyping him up since we started, like, you know, podcast, Friday Night Scout School, everything. You know, you've been talking about this kid. And even, like, we were doing predictions I think a few weeks back and you had South Carolina shutting down somebody, but, you know, you were wrong. I was it was right. Florida. And- it was
4: Florida. I was wrong <laughs> on that one. I admit it. I-
1: and i'm just saying my gators chomped it up but he's you know again i watched him in that game because of what you said he's a very good player i love his i love his feet for his height his footwork is really amazing his length and his ability to keep his hands off the receiver he's not a grabby guy you know so for me when i watch him i see the good transition i see the the good uh, upper body balance and core strength that it takes to, you know, not be a grabby guy when you're transitioning and stuff. So he's got that, what do we call it? Quabs and Friday night scouts roll, the quickness, agility, balance, and strength. So he's got good quabs. So, you know, again, he's a, he's a guy that I I got excited from that Florida game uh, because that beforehand you had set me up and were telling me about him.
4: Yeah. Yeah. And again, two interceptions, five pass breakups in one game is absolutely insane. One of the pass breakups he had actually led to an interception for his teammate as well. So he was all, he was directly responsible for three turnovers in that game. Telling you man, check out my boy number 1 from South Carolina, JC Horn if you haven't already. Awesome dude too. Did an interview with him in the in the um in the summer for that article. Awesome guy. Make sure to check that out. That's a couple of what stuck with us this weekend. Are you curious what good interior offensive line play looks like? Do you want to know why centers and guards are so valuable? This week on Friday Night Scout School, we are covering the interior offensive linemen and play uh, the scouting film on X, Y, and Z players. There's X, Y, and Z that we have this weekend. Quentin Nelson, Eric McCoy, and we also are taking a look at David DeCastro coming out of Stanford. So many great football players. If you haven't already, sign up today at nfldraftbible.com. Would recommend the season pass, but at least come take a look at these interior offensive linemen that we have cooking for you all. Want to get into some games for the weekend. We, man, I I got some juice tonight, David. I am ready to go here, man, moving into this third segment here. We want to start with so many one-win teams in the NFL right now. It is berserk. I I, I forget the, the stat that Rick told us earlier. But I'm looking at a a,
1: a third, a third of the league.
4: Yeah, a third of the league. And one thing that we have been very, um, pretty consistent with over the last, I don't know how many years, parity is usually pretty high with the free agency era. You know, there's not these dynasties that are sticking around like you saw with the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s, the, you know, Dallas Cowboys through the, like, the 90s, the the 80s, 90s, San Francisco 49ers. Like, it's hard to keep that much talent together. So usually you see there's a lot of middle ground here. You're not seeing a lot of middle ground. You're seeing some really darn good football teams and a lot of one-in-whatever teams that they are right now, if depending on if they've had their bye week so far. So we're talking about the state of these one-win win, one, win teams. Of those teams, David, who do you think is the most surprising to be on that list right now?
1: You know, off this list, i got to say it's the Vikings. I think you know that. I picked the Vikings to have a good year this year. I liked what they did in the draft. I thought they had a strong team coming back. You know, I really was like, then they traded and got another pass rusher. So I was just like, oh, here we go. Vikings are making a run at it. And to see them at one win right now, like that's the most surprising team on this list. I think, you know, for the rest of them, I wasn't surprised with, you know, the Bengals, even though they're competing hard and everything. They're young. They got a young quarterback. They're trial by fire, the Texans, I mean, train away their best player. I mean, already fired their coach, same with Falcons, Already fired their coach and GM. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me to see the Jaguars. The other team that would be surprising is the Chargers, because that's another team that is playing tough. I know they lost Tyrod in an un- unexpected situation, but those to me are the two teams on this list that stick out about like, oh, I thought they would be better than one win by this point in the season.
4: Yeah, and, and you, you took my one there, I was going to say. It's, it's definitely the Los Angeles Chargers for me. I, I keep wanting to say San Diego. It's, it's still very yeah, it's weird to hear.
1: San Diego.
4: <laughs> yeah, the Las Vegas Raiders, the, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Washington football team, a lot of different names that we have to familiarize ourselves with. I think the Chargers would be my team, though. I think that there's so many good pieces. Now, I know Derwin James got hurt before the year with their outstanding safety. I know Austin Eckler's been dealing with some injury. Keenan Allen now. I know they're playing a rookie quarterback. And the offensive line's not great, but I'm looking at that team before the season. I'm like, you know, I don't think they're going to be a playoff team, but Austin Eckler, Keenan Allen. Defensively, you got Joey Bosa. You got Melvin Ingram. You got Derwin James before he got hurt, right? You got Nasir Adderley is a guy that I really like a ton. There's so much talent on that team. Obviously, injuries has been a big thing across the league. It's hit the Chargers. And I like your mention of Minnesota Vikings. Did Another team that I was a little middling on, I thought they would be in contention for a playoff spot. Like I thought they would be in that conversation. I wasn't sold on them being like a, a real contender because they did lose you know, Stephon Diggs, and there's some, some very questionable interior offensive line play right now for this team. But, man, if you would have told me that Mike Zimmer's Minnesota Vikings would be sitting at one win going into, what, what are we on, week seven, six, whatever it is. It's week seven. This is coming up seven. on seven, yeah. Right, yeah. So we're going into week seven, and Mike Zimmer's Minnesota team is sitting with one win. I would have called you a liar because if anybody's ever talked to me, I'm a huge Mike Zimmer fan. Going back to his days with the Dallas Cowboys as the defensive coordinator, Cincinnati Bengals as the defensive coordinator, I think he's an excellent football coach. And I'm very surprised. You know, I've never been a Kirk Cousins guy, but I thought that they would have enough. Dalvin Cook obviously dealing with some injuries as well. But, man, I cannot believe a couple of these teams are one win right now. Asking you, though, David, on this, of that list that we just talked about a little bit, is there any team that you think that potentially could rebound? It's obviously odds are, are stacked against them. But is there a team, in your opinion, that might be able to maybe make some type of rise and be in contention for the playoffs when everything's said and done?
1: Well, I think any team in the uh, NFC East is in contention for the division title still. Seeing that the leader of the division is only the two win Dallas Cowboys who got dismantled the other night, um, last night. So, you know, uh, it's, it's something that the, the, I can't, I, again, being a Giants guy coming up in that division to see that division be like, like it is. I mean, the whole division only has five wins out of, you know, what is it? She's all these games that have been played. I mean, Six, 12, 23 or 24 games played, and they only have five wins. So, you know, as a division, I can't believe that they're down so far. And going into the season, again, you had – You had, you know, Dak, you, you have Carson Wentz, you have Daniel Jones, you have Haskins. You think that, okay, they got four quarterbacks in that division that you got a couple young kids coming up and maybe this will be a year they take a stride forward. But no, it's just the bottom and the wheels are falling off this whole division. So, but I'll say this. If I'm a betting guy, I'd bet one of these one win teams in this division. To make the playoffs over any other division, just because of who they're playing, uh, you know. I, but again, if, if I really, you know, the team I like that I would say could rise off the bottom, they're just in the wrong division. It really is the Bengals. Like when I watch the Bengals play, Joe Burrow is making me a huge fan of him. I think he's playing really well. The defense is riddled with injuries, but when they are healthy, they are being really stout they're playing really well. They're just in the wrong division. They got they have to contend with the Steelers and the Ravens and you know this new this new uh era Browns team. So, you know, I like them. They might win some non-division games as they go through the rest of the season and I I think next year though, that that's a team that's going to be interesting to to watch rebound.
4: The Browns are frauds, man. What they, they got my hopes up, and then they got dismantled. I know the Steelers are a good team. I get it, but the Browns are. Frauds. I was going to say
1: they got dismantled by one of the best teams in football right now—the one of the only undefeated teams.
4: Yeah, but in order in that stacked division, right? If the Browns are a serious playoff contender, like you got to beat, like they lost like thirty-eight to seven, I think, in their first match against Baltimore. They got destroyed by like, like the, I think, the same exact score against the Steelers. Like if they're an actual series contender, you got to win a couple games in that division other than the Cincinnati Bengals. So,
1: oh, don't get me wrong, I'm with you. I don't think the Browns are for real. I think you know I'm with you. I think that they're pretenders too. But I'm just saying, you know, can't can't crush them for getting crushed by the the five and zero Steelers that are that have you know been running through a lot of teams right now. So.
4: David, As this, all. David, David, this is my podcast. I can crush whoever I feel like, <laughs> feel like. on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's, that's, true. The, uh, that's the dumpster of the NFL right now, um, for lack of a better term. We have the Philadelphia Eagles, New York Giants, Washington football team, Minnesota Vikings, Falcons, Bengals, Texans, Jaguars, Chargers, and don't forget the only 0-6 team in the NFL, the New York Jets, man, we we, we can spend a whole podcast on the Jets, they are a laughing stock. They're one of the worst teams I've ever seen, David. Like, I'm trying to remember that that um Detroit Lions team that went 0 16 a few years ago with Orvlosky oh, at quarterback. That team was awful, but I think that team might be better than this Jets team. This Jets team is bad, very bad. Yeah,
1: it is. I mean, they have plenty of cap room now getting rid of Bell and stuff for next year, so that could look like a smart move if they do the right thing with it. And again, I mean, just keeping this coach around i saw some former personnel director gene i'm saying it would be travesty to fire G- gase at this point in the season and that he should just let him have it i'm like get the heck out of here i'm like you know what this guy's doing nothing there about collecting a check and ruining the possibility of winning now i'm not a big you know greg williams fan either you know so turning the team over to him wouldn't be my cup of tea even though that's what he wants i mean greg williams that's all he ever wants um, and you know, um, but you know, for me, I think there's some other guys in the building that you just give a young coach a chance to run, you know, like I said, we're in week seven. So after this weekend, fire him, give him not give this young coach nine, nine games to figure it out and do some things. And then, and then, you know, get either Greg Roman or, you know, Eric B enemy or, you know, Don Martindale, I mean, shoot, a lot of guys that are out there deserve a head coaching job. I mean, I tweeted a whole list of them the other day uh, for the Falcons and the Texans. So you can go to my Twitter at, at Mav Sports at Mav underscore sports, and uh, check out the list I've tweeted out for both GMs and for coaches. But, I mean, and again, I hope they keep the GM. The Jets, I do. I like Joe. I've said it many times. I like Joe. I think he'll be a really, really good GM. Came out of that Baltimore Raven system, the Ozzie Newsome, Eric DaCosta style managers. And I think, you know, he'll have the right attitude you just let him name his own coach.
4: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I did see somebody that had like kind of a, another mindset that was like, why don't you just keep Adam Gay so that you make sure that you can get Trevor Lawrence? No, no cheap wins down the stretch. I'm like, all right, I, I get, I get what you're saying. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with it. And that's definitely not and again, how I don't Kobe's give. I'm not,
1: a, I'm not one to give up on on Sam Donald. I, I like mean, Donald, you know, I too, th- man.
4: I really do. I'm hoping for the best for Sam Donald. I think, I think a change of scenery
1: might just be best for him, though. Honestly, well, I just, I just get rid of the, get rid of the cancer, cut the cancer out,
0: cut it out.
1: Yeah. Let dude, the team man. cut the cancer out and use some chemo this year. And get healed up the rest of the year. Just get him out of the building, and then you'll see what Sam Donald really can do. The, pr- the problem, I mean, is Tannehill the- got away from him, and and he's a good quarterback now.
4: No, no, trust me. I, I think Donald can still be a good NFL quarterback. I absolutely, dude. He was actually my top rated quarterback in that draft cycle. The Baker Mayfield, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson. Like I really liked Sam Donald a bunch. It's just like at this point, though, it, whether Gase is the coach or not for the rest of the year. They're probably going to be in contention for that first overall pick. And here's the dilemma, David. I agree with you. I would like them to just stick with Darnold and see what we got there. But if you have the first overall pick, is Sam Darnold going to stop you from pulling the trigger on Trevor Lawrence? Like, is it going to stop you? Let, stop let, let me
1: tell you the Jamarcus Russell story. I don't know if, you've, if I've told this on the, on the air. We have the first pick overall in Oakland, right? We're sitting there with the first pick overall. Mr. Davis is asking the room everybody what they want to do adrian peterson is coming out that year okay and so is megatron now people in the room wanted megatron some people wanted other players we had a deal on the table uh was it um who's the uh head or the gm over at baltimore at the time was um no 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 it was uh, uh, the guy who just was running the uh, Senior Bowl. Now he's up at the Jets with Joe. Um, ah, it'll come to me. But anyway, this guy—he's from Mobile. He's all—he runs camps down there. He's known Jamarcus for since he was 15 years old. And so he was just like, "I want to trade up from three to f- to two or three to one," and we were going to get his first round pick that year, the first round pick the next year. The second and third round picks, or no, the second pick this year and the second pick next year. So we already had two, we already had two third round picks. So Mr. Davis came to me and asked me my opinion. I said, Well, I take the deal. And he's all, Well, tell me why. I was like, At three, you take Adrian Peterson. At the time, we already had uh, Ronald Curry, who was healthy, um, Jerry, Porter. Jerry, Porter, Jerry Porter, and Randy Moss was still on the team. I was like, And then in the second round, because Lane was the, you know, new coach. I was like, "Well, Lane's more of a West Coast guy, not what Mr. Davis wanted to hear, but he is more of a West Coast guy." So I was just like, "We can get the kid out of um, Stanford, Edwards, to in this first pick in the second round, and then with their pick in the second round, we can get the tight end out of Arizona State, um, who we did wound up taking in the second round, Zach Miller, and then in the third, and and then we have, and then we still have three receivers, a young running back, young quarterback, young tight end." We haven't touched the offensive line or the pass rush, and we have two third round picks. So it's like you could touch the offensive line and the pass rush in the third round. And you know, with those picks, you can put a team together versus just have a certain player. Yeah, if you don't have a quarterback, you want a quarterback. Like I get that. But when you have Sam Donald and then the value in that pick becomes so big because everybody is thirsting over Trevor Lawrence or you know, fields or whoever it winds up being that number one pick consensus, when they're thirsting over that number one pick, you can trade back and pick up like four or five picks over a couple of years because the Jets aren't one player away.
4: They're not. <laughs> I agree.
1: <laughs> so it's like if I just trade back and I have a good quarterback, I mean, he is a good quarterback. And when I was doing the draft cycle, he was my second. um, You know, he wasn't my first quarterback. He was my second that year. But I was just like, you know, this is a good quarterback. You put some guys around him, he's going to look even better. You get the coach out of the building, he's going to look fantastic. So it's like, you know, let's let's put some O-line, put a run game together. Let's protect this kid, give him some weapons on the outside, put a defense that can give him the ball on short fields. Like, let's do some things. It's not about having a Pro Bowl quarterback. It's about winning championships, and if you're going to do that, you got to have a team. That's the best thing New England ever did. They had a team. they took a quarterback in the sixth round, put teams around him later in his career. they didn't have a great team around him, but pretty much earlier in his career, he had pretty good teams around him. He did absolutely were you a
4: josh rosen guy i know we're- t- we're taking way too much time on this on this segment.
1: <laughs> I like Josh rosen I thought josh rosen had great he had some of the most he had some of the best fundamentals I had seen out of a college quarterback in years. His balance with his footwork, obviously from his years of being on the tennis circuit as a young man, his, um, his arm strength, his ability to read the defense, everything like that I thought was really good in college at UCLA. I really enjoyed him. I didn't enjoy some of the off-field stories and the smugness that he when he answered questions, the lack of maturity, and I was worried about that. But I mean, when Aaron Rodgers came in the league too, he wasn't that mature either. So, you know, I think what, and I say, th- I said this, I think earlier in a, in a comp, one of the podcasts, what he did by going to Tampa Bay and going on the practice squad showed me a lot of maturity because that's the staff that drafted him. He said, "I'll come down here, I'll 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 take my lumps, I'll learn um, from Tom Brady, one of the best, and and take it to the next level." And you know, I think by him doing that showed me maturity but josh rosen with his balance and his footwork and his arm strength and that stuff my top quarterback coming out was you know Allen. you know he was a guy in my area i knew him really well and i thought dorsey and what dorsey liked at you know as in a quarterback i really thought josh was going to be his guy number one over pick when he picked baker i was like what the I, i i was shocked shocked
4: you, David, you need to write a book one day, Scouting Tales by David Turner. I can see it, man. It would be a I'm already
1: writing three time. books. Maybe that will be the fourth
0: one.
4: You def- right, well, put it on the list. Put it on the list. We took up a, a lot of time on that segment, so we want to move into some pick for this week. We're going to be a little more brief because we definitely want to get to our mailbag for this week. Let's start college football, college football Saturdays. Every time I talk to David on a Saturday morning, I'm like, sacred, Robert's household, he gets the picture at this point. We're going to go – Florida State, Louisville, Florida fresh off a upset of North Carolina, number five, North Carolina at the time, Louisville. Louisville, tough 12-7 loss to Notre Dame. They are favored by five points, the over under set at 59 and a half. David, Florida State having a little bit of a resurgence here? Or are you going with the Louisville uh, Louisville Cardinals in this one?
1: No, I, I I was shocked that my tar heels got upset last week. I mean, just shocked. If anybody has heard me this year, I love them Tar Heels. And when I was watching that game last week, I could not believe, you know, and even late in the game, the quarterback for uh, UNC came back and, you know, put him back in the game. He, You know, really good good game at the end. But I was really surprised. I think Florida State just caught the UNC team slipping and they weren't taking them serious. And I, I, you know, you are a Louisville guy. You you love the Louis, I'm you, them against Louisville my, you. I'm not a Louisville guy. You picked them against my U the other day. You picked them against the U. But no, uh, I think I I think Louisville does take this one. I think Florida State did get lucky. I don't see them winning two in a row. And, and again, there there's just too much going wrong in in Florida State, which is sad because I I love the Seminoles. I grew up watching Notre Dame and Seminole games, which were some of the best. You know games to watch and Miami and Seminole games were great so I mean I always loved when I was at the Raiders and different places drafting Florida State guys because they were tough I mean Florida State guys you could punch in the face and they would just laugh at you even as they're spitting a tooth out I mean they were just tough and they just don't have that anymore they're not the Marvin Jones you know Seminoles and they weren't you know it's not you're just not going to see them anymore like that but um, yeah, they have some great defensive backs coming out of there, some fantastic offensive linemen. Like Florida State was loaded for years and years. And now they're just not. And it's sad because I, I, as you know, when we were talking to Mike earlier, the richness and tradition of Notre Dame football is a reason why people go to that school, right? Not just the education. Same here. Florida State used to be one of those places where you just wanted to play for Bobby Bowden and play for the Seminoles and just just be down there in that culture. And now it's not that way anymore. It's sad. It,
4: it is absolutely sad. I agree. I remember those, you know, I felt like I was spoiled a little bit right there. Right. Cause I remember, you know, Penn state was really up at the time with Joe Pa, and they had Bobby Bowden. there were so many great coaches at that point. I mean, obviously we still have guys like Nick Saban now, but it was just something about those guys, man. And Florida state it, it, college football is better when Florida state is good. They're not going to be good this weekend though. Louisville is finally going to get that big victory I've been calling for for a few weeks. Played a tough game against Notre Dame, to be honest, man. Louisville's defense is not good, but they they showed up in South Bend, and they played a really good football game. I still like the offensive pieces that Louisville has. I think that they have done well on offense aside from the Notre Dame game over this season. It's just been the defense that's been the problem. If they can get more of an all-around effort this time, I think they outlast the Seminoles, who are going to be – Maybe feeling themselves a little bit too much after the big victory against North Carolina. So give me Louisville to cover the five. Over, under?
1: I'm going under. I'm going to call it. I'm going under. I
4: think I'm going under, too. This this seems like a 30-23 to game or something like that. So I'll go a little under on that one. Next game, we want to talk about the return of the Big Ten. Nebraska taking on Ohio State. Ohio State. You want to talk about not your uh, not your father's Cornhuskers, right? There's no Turner Gill in this game because Nebraska is is an underdog here against Ohio State. The Ohio State twenty six points over under set at sixty six and a half. First game, David for the Ohio State Buckeyes and Nebraska in the return of the Big Ten. I, uh, I'm picking Nebraska to cover, not to win, not to win. Nebraska loses by. Three scores, maybe 20, 21 points. They cover that 26. Give me the over. I think Nebraska with Scott Frost in year three is going to start turning it around offensively a bit. I think they're going to be able to score a little bit against Ohio State. Ohio State lost a lot of defensive juggernauts. I know that they recruit to the highest degree. But give me Nebraska to cover against Ohio State, but um, Ohio State to pull out the victory.
1: What's in your cup tonight? Can I have some? I'm t- I, like, I want to know, wanna know what's in I'm your not, cup.
4: I'm, not, I'm just not – you know, it's the first game. I think there's going to be some. You Scott know.
1: Frost ran his mouth on the Big Ten that he was going to go somewhere else and find games, and, and they said, oh, Yeah. How about opening up against a pissed off Ohio State team? Why are they pissed off? Why are they pissed off? Fields is pissed off because he was he was like, "Hey, I might not get a, I might not get a chance," and Trevor Lawrence is going to run away with that first pick overall, and now I got something to prove. And a lot of these Ohio Ohio State people, or a lot of football fans, have been sitting watching the SEC. Get all the press, get all the hype. This is Ohio State. This is the Ohio. So this is going to be a statement game. They are going to go and beat down Nebraska, and this is going to be Scott Frost having to in the conference after press conference eating some words that he put out there, and it's just going to be like, all right, Scott, you know, here you go. You want it? You wanted to go f- somewhere else? Well, why don't you beat Ohio State? Oh, the the division, the the conference is like here. You're opening up against Ohio State, and I think this Ohio State team has been watching. Uh, has been watching Clemson get the press, get um Alabama, all these other teams get the press, and they want to make a statement. This is going to be like a fifty-six to ten game. This is going to be, you know, I don't know if it's over, but it's going to be
4: fifty. It's going to be an ass woman. Well. You're saying it's going to be the under if it's 56-10, to 10, right? By my math skills, my quick math skills, that's 66, below the 66-and-a-half. David's taking it right to the wire there. Give me Scott Frost to cover. Ohio State takes the victory. Michigan, Minnesota. Michigan, three-and-a-half point favorites. The over-under set at 54-and-a-half. David, I have a very, very strong feeling in this game, but I want to hear you first on this one. What do you think about these gophers, the P.J. Fleck, rowing the boat, take on the university of michigan
1: you know i like pj fleck i like him a lot i don't know if he's got the horses in the barn to win this one but i like pj fleck i think he coaches his teams up really well he they're always prepared this you know they would know that an onside kick doesn't have to go 10 yards before the you know the the receiving team can touch it and recover it it's not going to be one of those kind of scenes I really like what he he does there in Minnesota. I do. I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick Michigan, and I'm gonna pick them to cover and all that. And I'm gonna, but I'm gonna go with the over on points. And I'm gonna say I could be wrong. I'm. I'm not. This isn't a. This isn't a firm Michigan pick because Fleck is such a good coach. But I just feel Michigan's gonna outlast them, and and win by that three and a half four point margin.
4: Not so fast, not my so friends. Friend. <laughs> Minnesota takes this one. PJ Fleck, I'm rowing the boat, man. After that four and eight Notre Dame uh, year, where a lot of rumors were about is Brian Kelly gonna be on the way out? PJ Fleck was my guy if that if that job became open because that was the year that he left Western Michigan and made the decision, obviously, to go to the University of Minnesota. Really good coach. I think he not only is he in in line for an even bigger head coaching job. I think he might be an NFL guy eventually. I am a very big supporter of P.J. Fleck. I like everything. Uh, Watch out. He
1: might be in Atlanta next year. He He might might be be in Atlanta.
4: Hey, and that would be a great hire. I fully endorse P.J. Fleck, college, NFL, any professional league. I don't care. P.J. Fleck's my guy. Takes down University of Michigan. Win the game outright. I'm going over as well. We're looking for an offensive explosion. Putting up forty points on these Wolverines, calling it right now.
1: Oh right, gosh! Right now.
4: There's my there's my pick of the week. I'm gonna and, and also I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I hate Michigan. So yeah, okay, I was no. just
1: gonna say your Notre Dame showing.
4: <laughs> That's fine. Uh, my tattoo is showing. I think so. Yes, my Notre Dame is showing. You were
1: yourself, letting your Notre Dame
4: fanage show. Uh moving to the NFL games. Tampa Bay three point favorites over David's Las Vegas Raiders. Over-under, 53-and-a-half. David, Tampa Bay off of a nice victory, obviously, this past weekend. A game that I picked, by the way. You said Tampa Bay's not going to take down Green Bay. I picked them against Green Bay. and You were like, oh, you're crazy. You're crazy. Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers. Yeah, Aaron Rodgers. All right. Uh, Tampa Bay only three-point favorites, though, over the Raiders. Last time we saw the Raiders, they were upsetting the Kansas City Chiefs for the Chiefs' only loss of the season. What are your thoughts on this game, David? 53-and-a-half, also over-under.
1: You know, I'm going to say this, because I'm a big fan of this guy, all right? I'm a big fan of this guy. I, I've met this man before. He's an incredible human being. He's a wonderful father, but more than anything, he's a man after my own heart. Because he runs a 4-3 and he goes after the pass rush and he's all about getting quarterbacks on their back. Todd Bowles is dialing up the pressure the last few weeks. He's a guy that is bringing energy into that locker room. He has relentlessly pounded the quarterbacks over the last few weeks. I thought that, that, that Green Bay line was going to stand up to that pressure. They crumbled and here we go again. Can the Vegas... Raiders hold up to this pressure that Todd Bowles is bringing. And his boys are feeling them. I mean, they're standing up. Their hands are in the dirt. They're coming off the ball. You don't know which way they're coming from. He's got talent. It was like when Todd Bowles was in DC out here in Arizona, he had talent and he knew what to do with it. He goes over there to the Jets. They have no talent. So they like, oh, you're, you're a terrible coach. Well, now he's back in Tampa or he's down in Tampa and he's got talent. And he knows what to do with it. I mean, you got to load up the cupboard for some of these chefs to bake it. You know what I mean? And in New York, he didn't have the cats to go get them. But here in Tampa, he's dialed it up, and he's going and getting them. And I love watching his defense right now. It's reminding me of them old-school Tampa 2, go get them style, rough them up in the trenches type guys. So, I, I mean, again, I like what the Raiders are doing. I think this is going to be a clash. This is going to be a very big clash this weekend. This is a must see game. You got to tune in and watch this one. Have a couple pops. Enjoy it. You know, um, this is what I'm going to be watching. Hit me on, hit me during the game on Twitter because I'm going to be watching this one. It's definitely one I'm all, I'm going to be all over. So, you know, for me, I'm going to pick the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with the points to win the game, and I'm going to go with the over.
4: Interesting. So I will say I like a lot of what Tampa Bay's defense is doing. Absolutely. Devin White, I was a huge Devin White guy coming out of LSU. Loved Devin White. He's doing playing some nice ball, Levante David. Tampa Bay's got it rolling. Tom Brady look, is looking really good. Um, you know, kind of proving some doubters wrong that thought that he couldn't last outside of that New England system. Right, we're, we're kind of seeing that he uh, he's doing a pretty good job. So, but I am going to pick here, David. Follow me on this one. Ready? So, three point Tampa Bay favorite. I'm going to pick the Raiders to cover but lose. This is going to be the game of the week. This is going to be a 28 22nd touch, last touchdown victory for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers um, to cover, to not cover, but to win over the Las Vegas Raiders and I'm picking the under on this game. Picking the under.
1: Oh, oh, this will be one for us to come back and see who wins on this one on Sunday afternoon. Especially cuz I
4: just lied. I'm actually picking the over cuz my math was awful on that. So it's the over, but I'm picking I'm picking the Raiders to cover on it. I'm picking the Raiders to cover and lose. All right. Sorry. I'm only a math teacher. No big deal. Pittsburgh <laughs> Show your work. You got to show your work. I I have to show my work. Pittsburgh Steelers. uh, They're off to a great start here. One and a half point favorites against the Tennessee Titans. We got two undefeateds here. We're only going to have one undefeated when the game is over. I guess unless there's a tie. Does that count as being defeated? I don't know. 52 and a half over under. I'll tell you this, David. I don't know why Pittsburgh's favorite in this game. I'm taking Tennessee. The Tennessee Titans are for real. I'm telling you right now. Their defense is very talented, and they aren't even playing well yet. When this Tennessee Titans defense starts playing well, and it's going to happen at some point, Derrick Henry, Ryan Tannehill is playing great football. I think that team is really, really good. Big fan of Mike Vrabel as a head coach. I think I love a lot of what Tennessee's got going on. I'm going to pick them to defeat the Pittsburgh Steelers, win the game, Maybe under on the over and under, though. I might take the under on the 52 and a half.
1: We got two undefeated teams lining it up and going to hammer at each other. This is going to be another great game. This weekend's got some great matchups. I just, I'm just loving this weekend of football, from college football to pro football. The matchups are amazing this weekend. But those Pittsburgh Steelers defense now, come on! I know you love this Titans run game, you love what they're doing, and I like what they're doing a lot. But I'm gonna tell you, this Pittsburgh Steelers defense is playing unreal football right now. I mean, if you look at their points given up, they are not giving up many points. I mean, they just held Cleveland to seven points. You know, the week before they have they had uh, they only gave up 29 to Philly. Uh, Weekend before that, they were on. They they gave 20 up to San Francisco. Weekend before that, you know, they gave up 21 to Houston. So you're looking at a team that's only given up three scores, really, on average. You know, when you average it all out, 20, 21 points, and their offense is putting up 35 points. So, you know, I think this is going to be a great battle, like you. I think it's going to be a one-possession, one-score-style game. I think they're going to go back and forth like a heavyweight battle should be. Um, But at the end of the day, I got Pittsburgh winning, and I'm going to take the under because I don't know if these two defenses are going to give up many points.
4: So, I don't agree with you.
1: I know you don't. I'm, I'm but sorry, but that's okay.
4: Yep, just don't agree with you on that one. We see that one completely different. Last game we went to touch on the NFL. Sorry, I was thinking of like a clever rebuttal, and I'm just like, don't oh, agree. Don't agree. I, just,
0: don't agree. I so, just,
1: I just don't agree. Seattle
4: Seahawks, Arizona Cardinals. Last game we want to touch on real quick. Over/under set of 55. I could not find the line on this game. So, David, if you can
1: Arizona me. plus three and a half. Arizona Arizona's
4: favorite. Oh no, no Arizona. Oh, so so Seattle is the favorite. So, three and a half yeah. points. Then got it, got it. While I'm taking Seattle, still, doesn't matter. I thought I was about to get an easy pick. I'm like, oh, no line on this game? Give me the Seahawks. But um, I'm still going to take Seattle. I'm not a big believer in Arizona. I know they just had a nice win against the really bad Dallas Cowboys team. Like, I get there's a lot of things to be excited about. Kyler Murray, Kenyon Drake started getting it going a little bit, Christian Kirk. There's some pieces that be really excited about offensively for that uh, Arizona Cardinals team. I think Seattle is just a much – I think they're just better. They're just a better football team in my opinion. I'm going to take Russell Wilson in this matchup. The over-under, this one's messing with me because like, my first thought was over 55. I'll, I'll go over, but I'm still going to take the Seattle Seahawks to cover.
1: Yeah, I'm really I, – I love Seattle. You know, they're my pick for the Super Bowl. And, you know, uh, I'm with them and I, I think that you know, Russell's going to be the MVP this year. Um, so Rick, Rick's all over Kyle Murray and this, and so him and I are probably going to put a bet on it tomorrow. Um, but this is the thing. I am worried about the the Seahawks pass rush. They are not really generating a lot of pass rush. They they're, they're little depleted and injury wise is this week. So for me, I think if they get defeated, if they get beat, this is the week to do it. Cause Kyler is playing really well. They have a great passing game. He's able to elude and create away from the pocket, which is going to be a problem for Seattle just because their pass rush isn't. I don't feel they're going to be able to contain him. So he'll get outside the pocket and be able to sling it, and he's got plenty of arm strength to stretch the field with it. So with Hopkins and uh, Isabella and all them running around, you know, that have vertical speed, I think this is going to be a, a really hard game. Fought both ways. I think Russell finds a way to win it. I think Seattle does win it. I think it might be a last-second field goal, though. So I'm going to do Arizona to cover, and I'm going to go with the over.
4: I liked how you said Isabella. That was really romantic. I like that.
1: Isabella.
4: <laughs> Isabella. Andy Isabella on pretty good. Um, We're on a similar wavelength with that game, I think. Before we get into our mailbag... Section of tonight, we appreciate you tuning in to Mav Sports Take tonight. Are you looking for a way to promote promote your company? If you would like to learn more about partnering with Mav Sports Take, contact us at mavericksportsconsulting.com. We've opened up our partnership for you to take advantage of. Mav Sports Take is reaching nearly 500 listeners each episode. Drop us an email at mavericksportsconsulting.com, and we will work to tailor a custom partnership package just for you. Mailbag! David's favorite Mail time of the bag. week. Uh, we have, of course, as always, some great questions. Shout out to you all for giving us some questions on our radar to talk about um, this week. Let's start. Oh, man. We have so many. We have a couple good ones. I definitely, don't think we'll be able to get to them all, but we definitely want to get to a couple here at least. Uh, desperate times in the- around the Philadelphia Eagles, David. Let's go to Jack here. Jack, I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name with all respect to you because I do not want to butcher it. So Jack asks, what is Zach Ertz's trade value? So Zach Ertz is now out three to four weeks. There's been a lot of talk about trading him before the deadline because his contract is set to run out after this year, after to expire. And there's been a lot of talk about trading him before the deadline with Dallas Goddard in place as their starting tight end. So he wants to know, if you trade Zach Ertz, obviously now dealing with his injury, what type of value, what type of assets could you potentially get in your opinion, David, for a guy like Zach Ertz, who's been a very good tight end, not having a great year. And he's now dealing with a little bit of an injury here.
1: Yeah. I, it, it all depends on the injury. Is he going to pass a physical? If he, if he, you know, is it something he's going to be able to come hundred percent back from, or is he going to be a nagging injury? I mean, you can't, you can't invest, you can't over invest in even put, you know, when you're in the middle of a season, you can't over invest in players, you know, cause there's a, you're not enough room on your salary cap. Most of your money's already spent. And B, you, you can't get rid of young players and draft picks for a guy that again, next year you, you don't have under a contract. And is a tight end really going to push you over the hump to make you, to make you the, uh, the, the Super Bowl winning champion, right? It's not like you're going to get an All Star running back or uh, a receiver that can come in and, and learn it and develop. Tight end's a different position because you have to really be involved in the running game, blocking, pass blocking, on top of route. It's hard. It's a it's a position I wouldn't over invest in right now. So for me, you know, giving a conditional pickup somewhere in the back end of the draft is what I would offer. If they wanted to do it, they could do it. If not, I probably wouldn't offer more than that, just because of the position he plays and he's injured.
4: Yeah, and that and I, there's no
1: contract. Yeah, you know. yeah,
4: absolutely. Yeah, so the team that trades for him also has to figure out what you know if he's a long term asset to them. So they have to start thinking about contract situations. Are they going to extend him after they sign him? Like what what is the timetable on that? For me, like I keep hearing Philly sports talk, right? Because I'm right here in South Jersey. Everybody's talking about. You know, what you get for Zach Ertz. And everybody I listen to is like, oh, you could probably get a third round pick for him. I'm just like, dude, from who? Like, have you seen Zach Ertz play this year? He's about to be 30 years old at a position, like you said, David, that probably shouldn't be that highly valued, right? Like, obviously, it's nice to have that type of asset. But Zach Ertz is a guy that has never won with athleticism. He's starting to slow down even more. He doesn't block a lick, so he's not an asset to you in the run game at all. He's out three to four weeks with an injury. You have to pay him potentially. Now, coming towards the offseason, like, what am I talking about with a third-round pick? I think conditional, I think, is a a good way to go. That's probably what I would offer as well. I mean, I'd be hard-pressed if it's not conditional to offer more than, like, a fifth for him. Like, I just... Like what what is he uh,
1: again you, you got a 30-year-old guy coming off of an injury who doesn't block and again he's and he's you know he doesn't have a contract next year so he's going to be looking to get paid because he's up there and you don't know what you're going to get any So I mean again if you're a team that's getting ready to run for the championship you think about it but also you can't give up more because you're not gaining. You're not gaining security with a second year on the contract. You're not gaining a healthy player. You're not gaining a young player. There's, you know, you can't you can't be put over the coals and, and you know, taken advantage of.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And Jack threw in a couple other guys to touch on briefly. Fletcher Cox, Derek Barnett, hey, Pass rush is always a big element here, right? So Derek Barnett, I think there'd be some takers. I'm not sure what the how high of a trade value it would be. I would say if I was a really good football team that just needed a little more interior pressure, like that was what I needed. Fletcher Cox is still a good football player. We want to talk about a third-round pick that we just talked about with Zach Ertz a little bit. Hey, if I'm a team that's in contention, I just need a little more juice up front in the middle of my defense. I might throw a third-rounder in for Fletcher Cox. I think that's... That's a potential good, good um, landing spot and good value for the type of player that Fletcher Cox is. Still,
1: no, I agree with you there. And for me, when I'm looking at uh, what we just talked about was Seattle, right? I mean, you could take you can take uh, Fletcher Cox and add him to the Seahawks roster, and you know now you got now you got some interior pass rush. Might not be the edge guys. But you put them in there with Reed and Ford in a rotation. I mean, that would be really a powerful front front seven or front three to rotate in interior. And uh, even you know, like you were talking. I mean, either one of those pass rushers, Seattle would probably be interested in. And if they had a third rounder or a fourth rounder that they'd be willing to part with, I- it would help them out a great deal to get more pass rush in that division and, and helping get rush up the middle is something I'm always about. So, you know, I, I think putting Cox in there for, with a fourth rounder, if you can do that would make sense. Bennett, I might even do see, cause I'm Seattle. I need, uh, I need pass rush off the edge. So Bennett, I might give the third round for just because I need more pass rush off the edge. than you know, more Cox, I can maybe give a fourth up for and hell, again, hell. If they'll take a third and a fourth and then trade me both those players, I'll do both trades right now if I'm Seattle to get that front seven situated before the stretch run here. You know?
4: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We only have time for a couple more here. We're a little over on time. We had a great conversation, of course, with Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated. It was an awesome conversation. If you miss it in the beginning here, I would definitely recommend it. Talking some college football, talking some NFL. Moving over to Jake. NFL Draft on Twitter. That's Jake That uh, with us, David, in Friday Night Scout School every week. Awesome guy. He wants to know, who are you looking forward to watching most in the Big Ten this coming weekend? So I'll start off on this and say, if we're just talking individual players, obviously Justin Fields is playing. There's a lot of guys. I'm looking forward to watching Jason Owe, the defensive end from Penn State. I'm looking forward to watching Rondale Moore from Purdue if we're talking about games, though, if we're talking about games, I'm calling a couple upsets this week, David, in the Big Ten, man. I'm, I'm I'm taking the James Kirkland, Illinois team to defeat the Wisconsin Badgers in the first week. I'm a little down on this Wisconsin team, especially replacing Jonathan Taylor. Offensive line's not as strong. Like, it's got some guys coming back, but it's not as strong as usual. I'm a little lower on this Wisconsin team, man. So I'm going to take Illinois in the upset there. And ready for this one, David? This is a big, big statement here. Ready? The mm-hmm. Rutgers football team, which has been in shambles over the last few years, Greg Schiano coming in. They're going to catch Michigan State in the middle of what is a awful rebuild. They are not a good football team coming back. They are lost a lot of defensive talent from last year. Breaking in a new quarterback. The Rutgers' Scarlet Knights upset the Michigan State Spartans this week, first week of Big Ten action. I can't wait for it. Graciano. hopefully going to get that turned around a little bit because, uh, you know, at one point that was a very proud program for a couple of years there with Kenny Britt and um, all those dudes there. Eric Eric LeGrand right after that. The, uh, Tim Foster was a defensive tackle. You had the uh, um, Harmon. At safety, you had the McCourty brothers back there. So Rutgers was up for a little bit there. After Coach Chiano left, though, obviously uh, to take the Tampa Bay job, it went downhill pretty quick. Um, Coach Ash was not able to get that team turned around. Obviously now in the Big Ten Conference, the best of college football. So I'm hoping Greg Shiano gets a little bit of a turnaround here pretty quick. Uh, David, any teams or games or players that maybe you are looking forward to seeing this weekend for the Big Ten?
1: Well, like I said, I want to see an Ohio State team come out and, you know, just thump Nebraska. But a player that I'm interested in on that team is Wyatt Davis, the offensive lineman for Ohio State. I want to see him. I really want to see how he looks. He's a junior offensive lineman. He's about 6'4", 315. You know, I think he could be a guy that comes out and uh, makes a really good uh, impression over this season and can be a a pretty good draft pick uh, for somebody. And then also... You know P- Penn State's uh, tight end Pat Fierimuth. Friermuth. Friarmuth. Friermuth. You know I was going to butcher that. Uh, I want to watch him this weekend. You know these are some guys that people aren't talking about. They're not the most popular people. Like you can talk about Fields and a lot of other people, um, but these are some un- unsung heroes. That as a scout, you kind of you kind of like their game. You want to see what they're about. You want to see what they what they can do. So those are a couple guys that I'm looking forward to watching this weekend and. And seeing what they can do now that the you know they're they're back on the field and playing ball.
4: Uh, no, I love the list and Pat, Pat Fryermuth, man, that's tight end one right there. I'm a big fan. I got him over Pitts, David. I know you're going to call me crazy on that one, but
1: well, ha- no, because you know I haven't. I, I saw him last year and I like him. This this year, Pitts has just been very exciting so far this year. So he has. you know, he has. I, 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 I want. That's why I want to see this kid because I think that he's he's up there with Pitts in this conversation for sure.
4: I have to answer my guy, Draft Guy Jimmy, on Twitter real quick. Top five cornerbacks. So, Jimmy, I, I haven't updated boards. I haven't watched enough film on guys so far in 2020 to have a change in opinion. So, I'll say going out of the summer, my five guys were, I already went on a rant about JC Horn being number one, right? So, I have JC Horn, South Carolina cornerback number one. I had Mr. Patrick Sertan Jr., number two. Um, on the list, cornerback from Alabama, really talented player. Sean Wade from Ohio State was number three for me. I had four, a little surprise one that some people are kind of turning around on a little bit now, too, is Eric Stokes, cornerback out of the University of Georgia. And then Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech, the early, the Clary who opted out of the season. So those are the five guys that I was most interested in, that I thought put on the best film, at least from 2019. Last question of the night, going to, um, yes. Um, Oh, last question of the night, at all underscore addict at Zach. He asks, what team should look into a trade for Matt Ryan and or Julio Jones, and what type of trade package should the Falcons be looking for? So we talked about trade packages for Zach Ertz a little bit, Fletcher Cox potentially. David, let's start it off here. What do you think that the Falcons could get right now if they decide to get rid of Matt Ryan? What type of compensation do you think they could receive for him?
1: I don't think Matt Ryan would command a first round pick. I would borderline say second round pick if it was a low second round pick, just because Matty Ice is not the favorite of a lot of people around the league. You know, a lot of people don't like his game, they don't like what he could do. Again, the San Francisco 49ers team might enjoy that they're, um, might enjoy this guy coming and joining up with. Kyle Shanahan and having that, but they already have Jimmy G under contract for like three more years. So, you know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And, you know, you got to say, well, look at the one win teams, right? You know, one of them might like to get Matty ice, but you would wait till the off season to do it. I don't think you'd bring him in right now. And obviously I don't think the Falcons without a GM is going to make a big decision, like trading the starting quarterback right now. So it's going to be like, who gets the job, do they want to keep him, not keep him? What's the trade? And, and I know the question is the trade, trade value. It's For me, I think Matty Ice is probably a late second round, early third round pick right now. That's what I see for him. You know, um, if they're training Julio Jones, was that the other part of that question? Yeah,
4: the other part was what would you get for Julio right now?
1: You would get a first round pick right now. Easy? Easy money? Easy, easy. Easy money. I mean, there's, he's got an, he's got immense talent still. He's, I know he's got a little injuries that here and there, but the guy, when he's on the field, he is an immense talent. So he's a guy that, again, if you're on a playoff run, you need some juice for your offense. You can bring this guy in. It's only week seven. You got nine weeks to get him straight before you even go to the playoffs. I mean, if you're willing to deal Julio Jones right now, I think someone would definitely part with a first-round pick for him.
4: I don't know why the team that popped in my head for Julio, and I agree you could probably get a first for him. I, I think that that is a reasonable a reasonable valuation for him. Green Bay Packers, they lack a wide receiver depth outside of Devontae Adams. Could you imagine putting Julio Jones in that X position and then using Devontae Adams – as that Z receiver, move him over all the place, play him in some slot. Like we talked about, I remember in our draft show, David, like when we were live, we talked about like what is Green Bay doing at this wide receiver position? What are they yeah. doing? Man, if you could just for like all right, first round pick to get Aaron Rodgers, Julio Jones, and Devontae Adams this year with Aaron Jones in the backfield, that is a potentially special um, so that that's a special skill position group for Green Bay Packers. That was just the name that popped in my head, Green Bay Packers. I like the San Francisco 49ers mention for the Matt, for Matt Ryan. I think that he fits what San Francisco wants to do so well. I think that he really does. Um, second round, I think, is, is another good one, David. So I'll defer to you on both of those. The first for Julio, second for Matt Ryan. I think those make a lot of sense. So I will definitely defer to those for you. Um, that's all the questions we're going to hit for tonight. We thank you all so much for putting those in to the, um, to the chat for us, asking the questions. We really do appreciate it. David, I'm going to give you a a last, last hoorah, whatever you want to say. What's, what's the, what, what do you want to end this podcast on tonight?
1: You know, I just want to thank everybody again. Like I try to do every weekend. I appreciate everybody's uh, support and appreciation of, what we put out week in and week out and they go and they and they download our podcast. They come and watch us live. You know, like I said, we're averaging about 500 people right now and we're only on episode 11 that are watching us. And it's just amazing to have some, have people listening, that many people listening to us. So it's, uh, it's really awesome. And again, we're not bringing the the typical subjects to the, to the marketplace. We're talking about business of football. We're talking about things that um, aren't being talked about on mainstream media so i appreciate people you know supporting that so we can continue to do that and we know that there's a marketplace for it if you want to know what what Maverick Sports Consulting is all about please drop us a line you know Maverick Sports Consulting i created in 2015 and we've been helping young men in the professional football ranks learning how to interview prep and take take on the the tough regular uh business questions that they weren't prepped for it's not getting on the board we can do the board training too but it's how do you handle the business aspect of football through the the coaching up on the interview questions the follow up on after an interview how do you let these men that the decision makers know that you are a you're ready to transition from being a college collegiate athlete into a professional athlete And the interview preps are really the key aspects here. And in this time, like we heard all these recruiters tell you, like, they're not sure where you're going to, if you're a five-star, four-star recruit, people can't coach you. If you really want an unbridled opinion, you know, I got unbiased opinion. Come ask us to watch your film, sign up for the film package, get to know what you, what you offer teams. We'll write up a professional scouting report, much like I did in the NFL for 18 years and give it to you. There's just so much we can do for young athletes, both men and women, when it comes to this, um, our skill set and what we do. Just check out MaverickSportsConsulting.com, and you know, let us help you. Let us support you in your career and what you're trying to build.
4: Again, that's MaverickSportsConsulting.com. Make sure to check out today. See all the packages and opportunities that they can share with you. Also, want to throw out Friday Night Scout School at nfldraftbible.com. This week we'll be taking a look at interior offensive linemen. That is 9 o'clock Eastern time every Friday. Make sure to sign up again at nfldraftbible.com. I want to thank you all again so much for all the mailbags. Mike Singer, shout out to BGI for uh, Mike coming on with us tonight to talk a little recruiting and some Notre Dame football. Make sure you like, share, follow, review, uh, view, review us on any uh, podcast platform that you use we really appreciate it, give us the 5 stars just do it, who cares uh, follow us also on Twitter Instagram, LinkedIn and Facebook I'm at Rise and Draft, David is at Mad underscore sports as always, we thank you all so much we appreciate you and we
3: look forward to talking to you again, same time, same place next week Thanks for listening to another episode of Mavs Sports Take. Connect with us on social media. Share your thoughts on today's episode, and tell us what we should take on next time on Mavs Sports Take. Want more from our hosts David and Ryan? Visit MaverickSportsConsulting.com and learn how we can help you take the next step in your sports career. Until next time, this is Mavs Sports Take.